turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, listen carefully. Unbelievers today are still just like that. They still pursue earthly treasures with the same kind of intensity as their ancient counterparts. Even though they, a, a modern-day secularist may not embrace the same exact religious system as the pagans of Christ's day did, still unbelievers embrace a philosophy of life that's very similar, which the true God is far removed from their daily lives. He's irrelevant. He's removed from the real struggles, the real needs, the complexities that, that they face every day. In other words, if, if they consider God at all, which most people don't, they see God as totally irrelevant to their daily existence and what they feel they need out of life. Before the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to God and our need for Him, we are completely blind in that area. We are born blind to our spiritual need. That is why the miracle recorded in John chapter 9 of the healing of the man born blind is such a superb illustration. The Jews knew that only the Messiah could heal a man born blind, and that is what Jesus did for that man and what he has done for every believer from the beginning of humankind. Hello, it is nice to have you with us here today for Verse by Verse, featuring the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, a position in which he has been serving since 1981. In order to make his helpful messages available to you, our listeners, Verse by Verse Ministries adapts Pastor Steve's messages to radio format. We are nearing the conclusion of a study about worry and how to overcome it. It is part of a larger series that takes us through the Sermon on the Mount as recorded by Matthew. Worry is a sin according to the Bible, and the Bible tells us how we can overcome that sin. But before we get to that, let's make sure we understand why it is a sin, something that comes naturally to the unsaved but ought to be completely unnatural for the Christian. Previously, Pastor Steve has pointed out that worry is a sin because it is incompatible with the biblical view of life and with the character of God. Now here is Pastor Steve to continue his message. Now today we want to continue our study by looking at the final two reasons why worrying is so wrong. The third reason why worrying is wrong is because not only is it incompatible with the biblical concept of life, as well as the character of God, but it is also incompatible with the very character of believers, the way we're to behave, the way we're to conduct our lives as as Christians. And I want to read to you verses 31 and into verse 32. Jesus said, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? And then notice he says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. The essential bottom line meaning and gist of these words is that the reason we shouldn't worry about food, water, clothing, which would be the necessities for maintaining our physical existence is because that's what unbelievers worry about. And we're not unbelievers. 
We're different. In fact, isn't that, as we've said many times, the overall theme of the Sermon on the Mount? You're different than unbelievers. You're different than religious hypocrites. You're different than secular unbelievers. Don't behave like them. Don't think like them. You have a different character. You've been transformed by, by grace. Make sure your outward conduct as well as your internal attitudes are different. You're to be different. And now the Lord says, don't worry like unbelievers. Be different than they are. Now, in mentioning the term Gentiles, Jesus was referring uh, not simply to Gentiles, but Gentile pagans, unbelievers of his day, the heathen, we would say, in contrast to the Jewish people of his day who at least had some idea of a biblical worldview. They had some concept of a biblical worldview. That wasn't true, though, of these pagan Gentiles, by and large. There may have been some exceptions, but by and large, the Gentiles of Christ's day were totally ungodly, unbiblical in the way they thought, the way they behaved. And it's very interesting, years later, writing to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul gave a profile of unbelievers, Gentile unbelievers. And I want to read this to you, Ephesians chapter 4. And what I'm about to read is just as pertinent to secular unbelievers today as it was to their ancient counterparts in the first century. So, so don't think that this is irrelevant. This is just about ancient man. It has nothing to do with us today. This is exactly how unsaved man is. Verse 17 so of Ephesians 4. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, meaning you're different now. Don't, don't behave like, like you once did in the futility of their mind. That's how they behave. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now, did you catch that? Did you catch that? Based on their futile, darkened, calloused, ignorant mindset, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, tells us that Gentiles, just like that, eagerly, he said, they seek all of these things. Now, what did he mean by this? He meant that the all-consuming passion of unbelievers is material goods. That's what they live for. That's their ambition in life. It's what he called in the previous passage. Remember, treasures on earth. That's how this last passage ties in with this passage. You get the right mindset about treasures and you'll be on your way to not worrying about them. You'll store treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. And the thought, I might add, in the original Greek is even stronger than the way it's translated in our English Bibles. The Greek actually states that, that they not only, the Gentiles not only eagerly seek the tangible physical items of this world, but that they earnestly, they intently seek after these things. And it's actual, actually a continuous action. They are continuously seeking after these things. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that pursuing material things is the ongoing driving force behind the lives of unbelievers. This is their major ambition in life, folks. This is the obtaining physical things is what they, what they live for. And you know what? When you think about it, why shouldn't it be? What else do they have? What else do they have to live for? They live for these things. Folks, this is what defines their life. The life of an unbeliever is defined by nothing else than grabbing for all the gusto they can get in life. This is really why the philosophy of the unsaved man can be summed up in these words. Eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. We die. That's what life is about. 
See, the ancient as well as modern-day pagans live, live like this because they absolutely have no eternal perspective. It's all about now. It's, it's all about the present material age, the stuff of this world. They have nothing else to live for. And notice this. More, watch this. More significantly, they have no one else to help them obtain the things that they so desperately seek. No one else. Now, listen very carefully. When Jesus said, the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. He was referring to the typical Gentile of his day, that non-Jewish pagan, who instead of believing in the one true God of Israel, actually embraced a false religious system made up of, of many false deities. Now, by and large, that was the Gentile world. And the gods of his religion were just like corrupt man. Why? Because man created this God in his own image. He created this God in his own mind. The gods of, of pagans were self-centered, they were demanding, they were uncaring, they were unpredictable, they were even cruel, just, just like people, just like people. One Bible teacher described pagan deities as, and I quote, gods of fear, dread, and appeasement who demanded much, promised little, and provided nothing. That, that's the ancient man's God. And this is precisely why Jesus, remember, taught when he, when he taught about prayer, he said in Matthew 6, 7, when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they'll be heard for their many words. Sure, they felt like they had to pester their gods. They had to hassle and harass their gods with, with incantations and chants. They, 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 they nagged them so that their gods might say, enough, leave me alone. All right, I'll do it. Get off my back. That, those are the gods that they worshiped. No wonder the Gentiles worried about food. No wonder they worried about clothing. No wonder they worried about every other physical thing they needed. Their gods weren't interested in them. They didn't care. And they certainly couldn't be counted on to provide for them. They didn't care. They weren't interested. So it was all up to them. And, and folks, that's why they were so intent on seeking after these things. They had nobody else. Now, listen carefully. Unbelievers today are still just like that. They still pursue earthly treasures with the same kind of intensity as their ancient counterparts. Even though they, a, a modern-day secularist may not embrace, he certainly doesn't embrace the same exact religious system as the pagans of Christ's day did, still unbelievers embrace a philosophy of life that's very similar, which the true God is far removed from their, from their daily lives. He's irrelevant He's removed from the real struggles, the real needs, the complexities that, that they face every day. In other words, if, if they consider God at all, which most people don't, they see God as totally irrelevant to their daily existence and what they feel they need out of life. And, and that's why Jesus said that the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things because, as we said, they have no one else to help them out. They have no one else to look to. They have no loving Heavenly Father who cares about them. No one to be counted upon who can provide for them. And so they're filled with anxiety. This is their life's goal, is to seek these things, to preserve their life. They feel it's all up to them. So they're, they're filled with anxiety to get these things accomplished in their lives. And you know what? Unbelievers have a legitimate right to worry because they have nobody else and nothing else. It's all about material provisions, staying alive for them. That's all. But we don't have that. We're not like that. We don't have any kind of right to worry. Why? Because we do have a God who loves us. Our God is not cruel. He's not uncaring. He's not unpredictable. He's not aloof. He's not irrelevant. And nor is he far removed from the real struggles, the needs, and complexities of our lives. The writer of Hebrews described Jesus as the perfect high priest. 
In chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Pastor Steve has more to share with us from God's Word concerning worry, and we will get back to that as soon as we welcome those who just found us on their radio dials. We're glad you found us. You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve is taking us a verse at a time through the Sermon on the Mount, and we have been looking at the comments Jesus made about our tendency to worry. How easy it is for us, even those of us who have entrusted Christ with our eternal souls, to forget just how gracious and loving our God is. Now here is Pastor Steve to continue our lesson. Our God is a loving Heavenly Father who cares about us, and He knows everything about us, and that includes all of our needs. And we don't have to pester Him. We don't have to hassle Him. He invites us to cast all of our cares upon Him because He cares about us. And that's why Jesus closed verse 32 with these profound words, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. What a great truth. In other words, you don't have to worry like godless pagans. They have no relationship with with God, but you do. You have a father who not only knows all about you, but but the implication here is that he promises to meet all the needs that he knows that, that you legitimately have. So I think a a very significant question to ask at this point is this. Do you worry and stress out over circumstances like your pagan neighbors do? Think about that. We're not to do that. Do you worry about financial matters, health issues, problems with our children, job-related issues, just like our pagan neighbors do? If that's the case, then it means only, only one thing. If you're a genuine believer, it means you may indeed be a very converted, genuinely converted individual, but you've fallen into a worldly mindset. That's, that's true worldliness, not the external stuff. It's how you look at life, a worldly mind, a worldly outlook on life. It, it speaks of the fact that you have a very low view of God's love and, and power. It means that though you may be a saved person, you are living like a pagan because Actually speaking, you are a practical atheist. A practical atheist is not someone who says God doesn't exist. It's someone who says God exists, but I live as if he doesn't exist. As if he he may be relevant for church, he may be relevant for ministry, but for the, the real issues of life, I'm on my own. That's just so wrong. That's what Jesus is addressing. God is not irrelevant. He knows all about your needs, and he delights in meeting them. I love what Martin Lloyd Jones wrote concerning this truth. He wrote, speaking of God, he not only sees what is happening to you when you are taken ill, he not only knows when you are suffering bereavement and sorrow, he knows every pang of your heart. He knows every heartache. He knows everything. There is nothing outside of his omniscience. He knows all about us in every respect, and he therefore knows our every need. And from that, he writes, our Lord draws this deduction. You need never be anxious You must never be worried. God is with you in this state. You are not alone, and he is your father. Isn't that a great reminder? I mean, we know this, but this is a great reminder. God knows all about your needs. He's a loving heavenly father. And in addition, he's given us many promises that assure us that he will provide for us. He will provide for us. What are some of those promises? For example, Matthew chapter 7, which we looked at recently. But let me remind you, beginning in verse 9, speaking of prayer... 
Jesus said, or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf, meaning a loaf of bread, he'll give him a stone. Now, the, the loaf of bread in Israel often looked like a stone. And so the Lord is, is saying, if your son comes up to you and says, I'm hungry, can you, give me, can you give me some bread? What man in his right mind would give his son a stone and say, eat this? He said, or if he asks for a fish, he'll not give him a snake, will he? Well, what kind of father would do that? He's talking probably about the eels, which looked very much like the fish and sort of were like that. And he said, if he asks for fish to eat from the Sea of Galilee, who gives him a snake and says, here, eat this. And then the Lord makes the point in verse 11, if you then being evil, and that's so true, we are evil, and yet we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? You think about how much you love your children and what you would do, you do anything for your children. And yet we're evil. God is perfect. What, what's his relationship? What's his desire for, for his children? What a great promise. And then in Ephesians chapter 3, we read these marvelous words in which Paul said at the end of chapter 3, verse 20, Now, to him who is able to do abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Now, think about that. No matter what you ask of God, no matter what you think concerning what you'd like him to do for you, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond that. What a great truth. He didn't just want to do what you think. He wants to do beyond anything we could think. And then, and then in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, he says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. All of your needs. Not necessarily what we think is a need, but what is a real need. And then I love the passage in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all of your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Over and over and over again, the Bible speaks of God meeting our needs. Now, Having said that, there are a lot of truths floating around in this passage. We don't want to miss the major point that Christ is making. And the primary truth that Jesus is bringing out when he brings up the issue of Gentiles and their behavior is this. He's making a contrast between believers and unbelievers. And his purpose in doing this is to remind us of who exactly we are. We're not pagan Gentiles. We're not the heathen. We're believers, we're children of God, we're citizens of his kingdom. And therefore, the point is that he expects us to conduct our lives in a certain manner like that. In other words, Jesus is telling us that worry is incompatible with the conduct of those who believe in him. Our life is not to be divorced from the fact that we believe in him, but we live any way we want. We're not, we're to, we're to live to honor him. Those who believe in him are not to center their lives around seeking their own welfare. That's what the Gentiles do. They live for themselves. It's all about this all-consuming drive to get what they want. Instead, Jesus said, you're different. You are to conduct yourself not by seeking your own interest. You are to conduct yourself by seeking my interest. And that's what verse 33 is about. But, he says, meaning in contrast to Gentiles who, whose life revolves all around them. But, he said, Seek first, meaning, but you, you believers, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things that you tend to worry about. And I've added that, but all that's the point. All of these things will be added to you. This is a profound statement. It's a very well-known statement. I'm not sure everybody who knows of the statement really understands it. But he's saying that in contrast to unbelievers who live only to have their physical needs met, a true child of, of God's chief pursuit in life 
is not their own needs, but to live under the rule and authority of their king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. In other words, the ultimate goal of our lives as citizens of his kingdom is to seek to obey his righteous commands. Now, what does he mean exactly by this? What is he referring to? His kingdom and his righteousness. I've read commentaries that I think actually go far deeper than the Lord ever intended. And you can read and read and read about this. But I I think essentially it means the the kingdom that he's talking about, the the truths to, to seek his kingdom are the truths he's been revealing throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is about kingdom living now. It's how to live, not in light of, a, of, of the millennial kingdom, as some teach. It's how to live in light of the fact that the millennial kingdom is not here. You live in a fallen world. How do you live in this fallen world? That's the Sermon on the Mount. How do we conduct our lives as citizens of his kingdom today? So the kingdom truths that Jesus is, is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is how we're to live. And why does he say, and his righteousness? Because remember, back in chapter 5, Verse 20, remember, this verse, by the way, I believe sets the tone for the entire sermon. Jesus said, for I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unlike the hypocritical Pharisees who were nothing more than external rule-keeping legalists, everything was on the outside, everything was to uh, try to just impress others with their spirituality, which they really had none, Jesus tells us that his followers are to obey from the heart, that true righteousness is inward as well as outward. It deals with motives. It deals with intents. It, it deals with right attitudes. And so we put this together To seek Christ's kingdom and his righteousness essentially means putting his interests above our own by obeying his word from the heart, seeking to please him. If we do that, Jesus said, and here's the irony of it all, if we do that and we stop being consumed with ourselves, then the Lord promises that he will give us everything we need. All the things that the Gentiles seek eagerly for and and make sure their lives are all about that. If we obey the Lord, and make sure that we don't compromise and we're pursuing him first. He promises to give us everything that we need. That's what the rest of verse 33 says. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And notice this, there's a promise. And all of these things will be added to you. All of what things? All the things that the Gentiles so eagerly seek. All the things you really need. Remarkable promise. But there's a condition to this. There's a condition to this promise. God only promises to provide for us when we seek him first, above ourselves. That's a significant truth to keep in mind. It seems counterintuitive, but it is true. The only sure way to have all our needs met is to seek not the meeting of those needs, but to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, where he has been serving since 1981. His messages come to you through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries and this fine radio station. If you have been blessed by these daily radio Bible classes, I hope you will let the manager of this station know about it. It is their goal, and ours too, to provide programming that will help you come to saving faith in Christ and then to grow every day in your faith. If you would like to listen again to today's class, 
please stop by our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can listen online or download the audio file for later. If you missed a class, you can easily make it up by browsing the archives page. If you don't want to miss any future classes, we have a solution you might like, our free podcasting service. You can find out more at versebyverseradio.org. Today's program was the middle of a three-part message. You can hear it in its entirety by ordering a CD or a cassette. Please call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we'll call you back during regular office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. Now, I'm especially excited about our next class. We have spent the last several days dealing with why worry is something we need to stop doing. And we all do it, at least a little. But in our next verse-by-verse, Pastor Steve will take us to a passage that shows us exactly how we can move beyond our worries and live the joyful lives God wants us to live. I hope to see you then. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse. We are here to give you strength between.